want to make music all the time Not just in fits and skirmishes I want to be wholly consumed in rhyme And bend my whole to her wishes Squiggle inside of her dark depth This reaches behold, behold, beheld What suffering teaches Behold, beheld What reason rules Behold, beheld On level field Behold, beheld You fool of fools Behold, beheld Behave, be real You owe me a reason To not fully be mine Explain to me Let me Secrets. We're better off pulling the groove that we find Sharing is nothing to regret Swallow me wholly, consume all my worth Behold, behold, behold It's you who comes first Behold, behold, what reason rules Behold, behold, on level Hi, this is Against Everyone with Connor Abib. That was the beginning of the song Behold, Beheld from the Bonnie Prince Billy album Keeping Secrets Will Destroy You. And that is all by today's guest, Will Oldham, who's better known as Bonnie Prince Billy. This is the first in a series of episodes on music. I think it's a good way to transition out of the series of episodes on horror that I just did, because music like horror also has an intense and often bodily intersection with our mode of lives, or what is spiritually known as the astral body, the world of dreams, the heart, of all the feelings that constellate within us. For a few episodes, I'll be talking about music with some of my favorite musicians, but these won't be the standard chats about what's the latest album all about, what's that like, or about touring, or whatever. Instead, I'll be talking with my guests about music itself and how it lives in their lives, in my life, in your lives, and in life itself. Each episode will also come with, in the show notes, a Spotify playlist of my favorite songs by each guest. To kick it off, I'm talking with Will Oldham, who is someone who has played so many kinds of music and created so many different sorts of songs. Will, also known as Bonnie Prince Billy, is one of the most thoughtful and prolific musical artists of our time. If you're unfamiliar with Will's output, it comes in many assemblages and sounds and songs across nearly three decades. In his primary body of work, Bonnie Prince Billy, he's collaborated directly with many artists like Bill Callahan, Tortoise, Matt Sweeney, Don McCarthy, and more. He's also made multiple albums under band names like Palace, Palace Music, Palace Brothers, <laughs> etc. Additionally, Will has been in movies, TV, music videos, and he's written and been featured in several books, including the book of most of his lyrics, 
which is at turns beautiful, sorrowful, absurd, hilarious, songs of love and horror, the collected lyrics of Will Oldham. There's not too much more to say before we start, um, because we just talk about so many different versions of music, the music that you're playing when someone comes into your house, the music that weaves its way in and out of your dreams, the music that you think about when you realize you're alone in liking it, and of course, the music that Will writes. I do just want to make one little mention here of the theme song to this show, um, which was originally written by me and my best friend Jeb Havens, who's been on the show, um, but I reworked it with one of Will's label mates on Drag City Records, uh, Ben Chasney, who is also known as Six Organs of Admittance, who comes up in the show. I'm so excited just to <laughs> have such a great theme song. Um, so yeah, that's just to say that's the music that features every episode on this show. Now, one more thing. The only sponsors of this podcast are listeners. There are no advertisements. There's no support for products I don't care about and you don't care about. It's just you and me and the guests hanging out, supporting each other in thinking, feeling, and talking. Please do support the show with an annual or monthly pledge via patreon.com forward slash Connor Habib. When you use Patreon to support the show, you're not only supporting me in the show, but you're also accessing an economic model that isn't about paying people for their labor. Instead, you're showing care and appreciation of who they are, in this case, me. (laughs) You can also support my efforts by subscribing to the show, giving it a warm review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, as well as buying my novel, Hawk Mountain. Thank you so much. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash Connor Beeb if you didn't catch that. All right, here we go with this series on music, starting with Will Oldham. Hello, Will Oldham. Hello. Hi, Connor. So I'm going to start with a line from a lungfish song, (laughs) which is Space Orgy, which I think is one of my favorite songs um, by them, one of my favorite bands. It's at the end of that song, Daniel Higgs sings, I pledge to stand at attention. I pledge to never swerve. I pledge to sing 1,000 more songs in confusion I shall serve. And that kept coming up for me again and again as I've been spending these past couple months, like really a lot of time with your expression, <laughs> like with your art and <laughs> music. And I I was noticing, you know, some people were asking in these kind of glib way, like, why so much output? Um, why, you know, why do you do so much? And it as a counterpoint, to that, like actually what was coming up for me was that song by Longfish and thinking, 
there seems to be a real, uh, I don't know if you like that word or not, but a real kind of devotion. I was interested in if that does exist as a kind of struggle for you to stay in with, with it all. And it seems something that people had a problem with for some reason. And I kept oh, yeah. thinking, why am I not? But it was something that I liked as something that like actually every single time I kind of like really resonated with, whether I was listening to you talk or reading an interview or listening to music or whatever. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll try to make my way to an answer. Um, the Lots of thoughts swirled around. The last one was thinking about, well, one thing is, is I, I think of the something that's occurred to me re- recently is is remembering as a kid and thinking about artists and thinking like, well, an artist shouldn't be um, a full time artist insofar as if the artist isn't checking in with the reality that that is comparable or connected to. The existences of others, especially their potential audience, then what will they have to offer? Um, so, so someone who is fully steeped in one thing, one practice, and and that practice has to do with expression and reaching an audience. What are they checking in with? What is their well? Uh, what can? What are they? What's mm-hmm. the common ground? Um, with the potential audience and who is the, you know, I don't know, you know, some people's potential audience or desired audience is of course, different, different from others. And I feel like if I'm not putting in the time, then people, the people that I am hoping to connect with won't find anything in there if there's if there's hmm. anything from a laziness to an indulgence to a self-referentiality i guess that's that's not what i am seeking when i'm looking into the works of others and so it's hopefully not you know hopefully what i'm putting out uh to be taken in is uh hmm. it you know is related to the lives and joys and struggles of anybody who might come into contact with the work. Also, so, so this means, you know, I, I used to think people don't, people would say, say even in the 1990s, when I was first making records, people would say, well, there's, you know, you're putting out more things. And I would think, well, what, what are, what am I supposed to be doing every day? <laughs> uh, I, you know, if I'm working on this every day and, and they are also, especially at that time um, in, in the nineties and early two thousands, people are looking at these models of uh, musicians or recording artists, whatever you want to call them who are putting a record out every couple of years. And they're thinking that that's a natural cycle for creativity when really it's a cycle defined by, markets and and the the major labels and and booking agents and and touring companies who found that it was easier for them to work a product for over a year for a year or two years than it was to work a product every six months they could milk more money out of those because if you look back at 
the records that kind of defined models for so many people in all different styles of music, but you could say just something monumental like the the Beatles. And I don't necessarily, I'm not being reverential. I'm saying monumental because they're like a fucking, sure. you know, statue or something uh, that they're, you know, revolutions in, in creative technology and songwriting and came every six months or so. Mm-hmm. And people are saying in the nineties, you're putting out a record like almost, you know, every year. And I'm like, yeah. And it's slow <laughs> as fuck. Um, because that's not how, you know, if you're working every day, even if you're revising every day, you know, every couple of years is a pretty long break between, uh, 10 to 12 songs. Yeah. And then, and then there's, and then I also think there, I think of, the records, the full length records and the EPs as, as the thing, these are the things that I do. That's what I do. And everything else is, is very serious practice and preparation for those things. But it includes, you know, if I'm singing on somebody else's record or, or if a, if a song comes out or some, some other expression of activity comes out, these are rehearsals, practices, preparations, um, for putting out a, a larger piece of, you know, a larger piece of work, a collection of songs that is a, an EP or, or a full length record. And so it, it has this appearance of, uh, you know, that there's a lot of material and there kind of is a lot of material, but it's, there's, there's no way to prepare for releasing something except by releasing something else to, to sort of work out the kinks of when you want, when you're prepared to put something out that, you hope will have, you know, more, more value or more impact. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot, <laughs> there's a lot there. I mean, I was thinking in, you know, just when you were starting to talk about, it, I was thinking, Oh, right. There was like, I, when I was younger, I mean, I think you're a little older than me, but when I was younger too, it's just the idea that, especially musicians for some reason that a musician or an artist should make their living off of, uh, I mean, it's an offensive term making a living anyway, but that they should make their living off of uh, their art seemed, I think wrong because of the, the context that I was seeing, which was the whole uh, discussion about selling out, you know, all my friends were in punk bands and it was like, well, if you can make a living off of it, then you've, done something ethically maybe even morally wrong <laughs> which of course like i mean that model was so also in a lot of ways brief you know that that you could make that insane amount of money um which is beyond making a living i mean when you say making a living if you're talking about cashing in that's one thing making a living is another thing right yeah i think when i say it's an offensive term i'm just thinking about any kind of like sort of wage labor relationship where, yeah. you know, and, and so, um, so, was, so there's that. And then, but then I'm also thinking about the, when I say devotion, I do mean the amount, there seems to be a real 
care, you know, even when people have interviewed you, there's just some weird thing. Everybody that interviews you, and now I'm going to do it, is like, he's adverse to interviews, but actually you do a lot of interviews. So I don't know where <laughs> this idea came from. There were so many to read, but you're, yeah. you're, you, uh, you hold the kind a lot of, of there's been a lot of years. There's been decades now of, of, yeah. Decades of a few interviews amounts to a lot of interviews. I guess so, maybe. But it would. <laughs> but but you were. But you also have some care when you're speaking. Even you know, um, like I noticed it when I talked with Ian Mackay as well. Like I would say something to him, and he'd be like, "No." He was very sweet and warm, but he was like, yeah. "No, that's not what I said. I said this." You know. I mean, yeah. there was a very like a, a real care for what was said and and how it was held, and. So I'm sorry, like, you know, I don't want to like sum you up as the devoted person who's careful and serious about everything he does in his life. That's what it sounds like I'm doing. But I, I do mean like, um, like there does seem to be a kind of like, yeah, dedication to real consideration, you know, with yeah. um, what happens publicly. And that's, I, I don't know if you, if you feel that as like special, but it comes across, at least to me, as a very special quality that I really appreciate. And so I was just wondering about that, you know, and some of it does have to do with the output as well, but I guess I'm talking about a kind of life of a sort yeah. of devotion. There is uh, you know, I, I think since I was a kid, I've been somewhat aware of my tendency to overthink and it took a number of mm -hmm. years to understand where that could potentially be appropriate. Uh, whenever, you know, when I was a kid and I heard about when I heard the, th the term think tank, I thought, oh, wow, how do I get into one of those? Because that's all I really know how to, it's my default is just to overthink everything. And maybe that would be useful in a place called a think tank. And I still am waiting for the invitation, you know, from a think tank to, but it is, it is you know, I, I thought, well, how can, how can overthinking be put to good use? How can it, how can it be of service potentially? And because, I also had such a deep interest in or passion for or, or just attraction to certain kinds of musical expression uh, and, and practice, really, um, from a young age. It, 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 I, at a certain point, it, it started to make sense. I thought, oh, well, I can, uh, I can, this is a practical application of this mm -hmm. uncontrollable tendency. Um, because there's there's so much to think about with I mean there's so much to think about with anything, but in terms of being not being you know not having the analysis paralysis and being held back by over consideration, um, music also you know wonderful thing about it is that it's you know it's a temporal thing right so you don't get stuck with your thoughts because music is moving forward a song is moving forward um, so you won't. Yeah, you you won't be trapped in this moment because this moment is in constant motion, and you need to move with it. And so then, you in order to function, you have to force yourself to learn to step back and see a slightly bigger picture, and you have to learn to move forward and proceed and take action. And the action needs to hmm. um, have a relationship to a result, but it, but. At the same time, a song is something then that stops and can be replayed again. It's you know it's a, it's a marvel it's a marvelous place to put an overactive mind is 
is a musical yeah. musical life, which you know Higgs is a great example of that, and and Mackay is a great example of that. That I mean, that's it's it's a great description of listening to a record too. I think it, you know when I one of the I think with overthinking in myself, I would say a lot of times thinking has been my way into feeling in my life to like really yeah. having deep emotion. So that would be the replaying of a song. Well, for me, probably growing up, I'll be honest as a cassette or a CD until, yeah. you know, now I buy records, <laughs> but, right, the, well. but the, and I use the word record. I use the word record as, yeah, I, I, you know, there's, there, are, there are LP, you know, I use the word record as it's a record of, a yeah. body of work. So it is a record. You know, I think of it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like the word better as a blanket term than just, you know, album or whatever too. But when yeah. I listen, but I'm actually thinking about it rotating, you know, and then coming back to it um, and listening again, that is that repetition that allows me to catch new things in my thinking and in my observation. And whenever I do that, it deepens the feeling and it deepens mm -hmm. the connection through the feeling. So I think that that whole, the process you described is also for me, what, you know, often will make music very meaningful and memorable. I mean, obviously there are also just songs that I just dance to or sing along yeah. with or whatever, but mm -hmm. um, I was thinking too about like this, the output is one thing, but also the input, like um, you were talking with my friend, Duncan Trussell, and he, oh. you said, Oh, I just want to, I want, in some ways, I don't really want to be a musician. I just want to listen to music. Yeah. <laughs> and I know that that I have almost a mania like that with books where when I was in college, I would go to the library and I would pick, a book randomly. I would wander through an aisle and just pick a book off the shelf and go home and read it. Sometimes it was about quantum physics or ants, things that were beyond me. Sometimes I would get lucky and get a novel, but it was like the goal was to read every book in the library, which was this insane, absurd thing. Yeah. But the, the flow of the input also is pretty massive, you know, which yeah. I think obviously if you, anybody wants to make art should, I think let in, but on the other hand, uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes I wonder that I work differently. Of yeah, different brains work vastly differently, and it's so it's easy for us to to say what potentially ought to happen, but our brains work different than probably most people's brains. So we should just define our own practices and let other people. I mean, if, it, if someone comes yeah, to right. us for guidance, then that's that's a good thing, you know. Then, but otherwise, you know, I sit and, and I watch people deeply appreciate music on levels that I never could. Uh, and, but mm -hmm. we intersect our interests intersect. And so it's, you know, it's a lesson in sitting back and letting go. Yeah. I mean, I, I am thinking about like really myself and you, I think that's totally true. Like um, that we can really only talk about ourselves. So I guess, uh, you know, or not other people's limits unless they express them. But I was thinking about like, there's, this is the, this question has two parts to it. I was thinking about this line from on your new record um, in behold, beheld. I want to make music all the time mm. uh, and not just in fits and skirmishes. I want to be wholly consumed in rhyme. So the first part of the question is, does that 
mean that there's been maybe a shift from <laughs> wanting to listen to wanting to make more? And then two, I could, I, as before I even asked that question, I was like, am I just expecting him to actually agree with his lyrics? I don't know. So yeah. then how much do you actually line up with the things that you sing in a literal way. Yeah, the, you know, there are there are statements here and there that come from a recognizable concrete uh place that I can return to including I you know, I understand that first line of uh behold beheld you know as being this thing where you know, it, a song has multiple stages of of taking form and but each time and each stage there are moments of victory when you feel as if you're uncovering the identity of uh, identity of a song. And each of those victories is fairly glorious. It's the, the feeling of things coming together and that, and that the song is a result of years of thinking and doing and experiencing and being buffeted and buffeting and, uh, and, and that, and feeling like, oh, I could only have, you know, the 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 pain that brought me here, the joy that brought me here, um, I could only be here because of those things. Many of which I previously might have, you know, said, well, I wish I could have done without some of those things. But uh, you're here. You're 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 solving a mystery. You're putting a puzzle together, and and it's definitely a high. Um, it also feel you know with behold beheld there is something that that song particularly on on this record feels like it is a solved puzzle um like like its parts uh interlock together in such a way um that that there there is a there is a sense of uh accomplishment even in its abstraction um even in its you know, because oftentimes I'll hear a song and my brain will recognize the importance of this song to me, but it will, but, but my brain also knows subconsciously that it may take years to appreciate what's in there, but I, my brain will recognize that there's years worth of uncovering in that song so that, you know, my brain says, oh, I'm hearing a song right now that I can listen to until I solve it. Um, and that solving might take a few hours, but it might take 10, 15 years. And with Behold, Beheld, I felt like, oh, I've, I've made something that is, is uh, I don't know. Well, you know, it, it, like the first line is the thesis statement um, and that, that is proved by the rest of the song for and, and for, for me, at least, you know, so it's mm -hmm. it's like I want to be a part of making and singing Behold, Beheld, you know, 24-7 for the rest of my life. That won't happen, but it's a, you know, it's a it's a goal that is totally fine with me. <laughs> uh <laughs> Yeah. It, it, and 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 it is you know there is a recognition there's a recognition as much as i do still value and love listening to music and do it with a degree of constancy i also you know i live with two other human beings with their own musical sensibilities and hmm. um, i can't necessarily force them to 
ex- you know, experience the kind of music and the quantity of music that I want to experience. And I know that in order to help provide for them and to, in order to make the subsistence financial living that we referred to earlier, uh, I need to shift from listener to maker, you know, kind of wholly or, or almost completely. Um, and that's, okay. it's more challenging than just listening, right? <laughs> like making things is harder than just, than, than consuming them. Uh, but it's, it can be, I guess also making it is, you know, making the, making music probably f- throughout all history, but it feels like specifically now it's, it's a, you know, it's a drag to wake up every day and, and essentially wonder what it is I do for a living because it's, because it's constantly changing. Um, and that would happen if, if it were only the, if the material could somehow be isolated from the world, but the material can't be isolated from the world. But, you know, just knowing, even just that I'm getting older. Uh, and so who is the, is the audience getting older? Is the audience younger? Does it matter? I mean, I, I'm scared of, of singing only to similarly aging people because those people will die. And if I'm trying to <laughs> feed my child, you know, I can't sing to dead people. So, yeah. But they uh, just have to be like three years younger than you or something like that. And then you'll make it to the end. Of them. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> or have healthy lifestyles, you know, yeah, right. <laughs> just be out there. Right. More I mean, I, non-ultra processed foods and, uh, and maybe I'll have an audience that will outlast. <laughs> well, I think one, the not knowing what you do when you wake up, it's such a, what a weird thing, isn't it? That, um, it's hard to describe because I sound, when I say something like that to people, I feel like I'm in some ways whining about my freedom to them, which I don't, I know exactly, you know, that it is that. And it's not that at the same time where, you know, for me, the way that that would take place is, okay, do I work on the podcast today? Do I teach someone writing? Do I write myself? Do I spend time reading so I can develop my writing? Like, do I, what do I do here today? And that kind of, that is very confusing. I'm not sure if that's exactly what you meant, but I think you could yeah, see some that there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to some extent, but I guess I'm also being broader, like somebody, and even, I guess, you know, you, you are making, so you're making a podcast, right? Podcasts as they exist today didn't exist 10 years yeah. ago yeah. and potentially won't exist in 10 years. I don't know. Yeah. So in that way, that has to be in the back of your mind that you are, you, you work in a medium that you can't necessarily dig into decades or centuries of other podcasters uh, and and what, and who's listening? How are they listening? This is something that's probably changing on a, on a daily basis for. I see. Yeah. For you. And so you wake up and you, you have to think like, well, I can make another episode, but the definition of an episode has shifted ever so slightly from what it was yesterday. And the definition of your audience has shifted and the definite, you know, and, and your pursuits and your subjects and your audience's relationship to those subjects is constantly shifting. Um, more yeah. so than it may be for a roofer, for example. We'll wake yeah. up tomorrow and say, 
well, you know, I've just heard that they may be outlawing asphalt shingles within the next five years, so we're going to have to shift materials. But essentially, I'm going to be waking up giving an estimate on repairing or replacing this roof, and I'm going to, you know, get a crew up. There. You know, it's it's different from say what you or I are involved with. Right. Yeah. I see. I see what you mean in that sense. I, I mean it. It, and that's what you meant by like, well, if I could do it without it touching the world in a way. I mean, because that's. I think about that. I've tried to think about that a lot just doing the show over the years is like, what am I, what, what is this thing? What am I doing? And you know, what's at the heart of it. And I think, well, you know, I'm trying to, you know, this is the first time you and I've spoken, but when I talk with almost anybody that comes on the show, it's almost invariably the first time I've ever spoken with them, unless we, we've become friends and they're on again. And so I'm, I think maybe there's something, there's something, that matters to me and hopefully to the person I'm talking with and to the people who are listening of two strangers who meet in friendship. And what does that, what does that look like? And, but (laughs) so one, I have to kind of stand back and think, how would I do that? If this were not, you know, what, what form would that take if I were going to offer it to other people somehow, if I weren't getting paid for it, if it weren't, linked Mm. up to Patreon or whatever, you know, and what would I be doing instead? In some ways, I think you pointing out the roofer thing is so good because the fantasy for someone who's making a podcast and, you know, writing fiction is like, or, or, or being a musician is like, well, I could just, you know, get a job at fill in the blank with the reliable place that, you know, you go in. But of course, it's not reliable either. And of course the world keeps coming at those things as well. Yeah, really, I mean, I, I chose, I was trying to think because there's so many people who are on shaky ground right now. And, and I think, you know, a roofer, I was trying to think, well, who's not necessarily on shaky ground. And I think <laughs> because I've seen in the past 24 hours, I've seen multiple roofs being replaced. So I think, you know what, <laughs> everyone's going to keep needing roofs over their heads and nobody's created like a, you know, a, a self-sustaining, or uh, self-replacing roofs. So that's maybe a, a line of work in which you wake up every day and you know exactly what you're doing. Where, you know, whereas someone like a nurse, obviously, um, you would have thought five years ago that a nurse would know, wake up and know what she or he was doing that day. But our understanding you know, of, of the challenges of, of nursing since the pandemic um, has expanded exponentially. And, and that's not something, you know, that nurses wake up and say, I can't do this. Um, so the work may be there, but I can't be there for it because it's, it's not, I can't be, I can't sustain it energetically, spiritually, financially. It's not working. It isn't working. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I mean, in so many positions like that, actors, you know, actors or nurses or, or, or doctors or, Teachers, gee whiz! Anything. My my one of my closest friends was for years a mortician and owned it, and that changed. I mean, People it's like you think, yeah, you think, oh well, everybody's going to die. So, but but then you you know all the regulations that come in. I suppose like there's there is an excitement about you know an enthusiasm almost for me about thinking about how to be live and agile with these things as well, and to move with them as they go forward in the world, but. It's also very exhausting to, <laughs> to yeah. do that d- dance all the time. I was, I was also thinking about when you were talking about your, your family. Uh, it was, I, 
was thinking about the fact when you said that, that my boyfriend is never going to like Brainiac, right? Like I played him some Brainiac songs and he was like, what the fuck is this? And the tremendous kind of loneliness I felt in a way when I found out that the people, the person that I loved couldn't connect to something that I knew was quite specialized, (laughs) put it that way, that I knew was quite particular, you know? Um, And so I was, it was so, I don't know, something sparked in me when you said that, I was like, well, what does it mean that, that band then is alone like i'm alone with it in this house you know like this thing that gives me so much pleasure and intensity and what would that mean also if i were making music that actually i mean i don't know how much crossover you have with your (laughs) your wife and your daughter is it yeah yeah wife and daughter yeah yeah, like i don't know how much crossover you have in in taste with them but it's with what you listen i mean you listen to a lot of different kinds of music but um to feel like well these sounds are not going anywhere in this house beyond me. <laughs> yeah. And that's going to in- interact with what I want to express also in some way. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. There, I mean, I, I do, you know, I recognize when I listen to, when I even think about listening to music that I would choose to listen to, and I'm in the company of somebody else or about to be in the company of somebody else. And I have to think, well, how will this music land with this person i think well i better better think of something else to listen to because (laughs) it just won't uh and and that can be instructive because i can you know if i if i left to my own devices i can go into directions with my music listening that Mm. you know potentially separates me further and further from the rest of human society and that's not a good thing, I don't think. Uh, as fun as it can be at, at certain times, uh, like so, it's it's wonderful, you know, for us, for for you and I, to have these uh, other beings around us, so that we can also, you know, it's an opportunity for you to learn more about, to explore more about your relationship with Brainiac. You know, yeah. why? What's the difference? Why doesn't your why? You know, why does it? Why does it lock into place with you and not with your boyfriend? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a pretty cool, because also the music that we love, I don't know. I was talking with a guy the other day and he was talking about loving dinosaur junior and I loved dinosaur junior when I was in my teens, you know, for the first three records and then, you know, coinciding with their initial separation and going to the major labels but I don't know if it was the mu- if it was musical or what. But I just lost interest and then never regained interest. And he, you know, he's excited because they're going to play certain records of theirs, you know, from beginning to end and some upcoming shows. And he described this thing that I'd never thought about before, which he said, like, "Well, they're my." Ba-. I, was, I was like, "I don't, I can't relate." And he said, "They're my band." 
Mm. You know, so it doesn't matter what they do. I'm going to go to the shows. I'm going to buy the records. Mm. I'm going to stay at the shows throughout the whole. Th- and and I, and I and I thought like, oh, okay, that's. I don't really have that. Uh, I don't think with any thing um, except friends. I have friends who it doesn't matter what they do. Mm. I'm going to be friends with them for the rest of my life. But I don't have. There's no music uh, that I that I feel that way with. Do you think that might, that might be because you don't like, maybe he has articulated it, but there might be like, I'll listen to anything. And I like everything that Jeff Farina has ever made, like in karate, his solo stuff, whatever. And I don't think it's because I've done that kind of active, <laughs> you know, like absolute love, but maybe it is. And I just don't yeah. know it. And I don't articulate it that way, you know? Um, but I, it is funny to me that I've been listening to his music since I was 18 years old and I still love everything he does. That makes that. So maybe I've done it and I just don't, I don't yeah. know, but there's another but, thing. But you're, this, but you're giving, I mean, your boyfriend is giving you the opportunity. I guess my point was to explore I see, what yeah, it is yeah. about Brainiac that resonates with you. And yeah. that's kind of a gift because it can, it can either help you separate yourself. I mean, it's, it's wonderful whenever we can let go of things. So maybe your boyfriend is giving you the key to uh, letting Brainiac go, or maybe he's giving you the key to diving in deeper and understanding more about mm. your relationship to music in general or the, that music specifically. Yeah. Well, and then going off of that thing that your friend or this guy said, which was, yeah, yeah they're my band. Yeah. It, is, it is, it is sort of strange. I think that we can share music with another person hoping that they'll like it because we think that that music expresses us in some way. I don't know why it's so potent with music. It's potent with every form of art where you really want to show, introduce, have communion over something. But with music yeah. in particular, it's like, look, this these sounds are, are me somehow. They've become rhythmic in me, like my heart yeah. or my lungs. And now here they are. Why should that be? I mean, I don't, it's not like I expect you to have the answer because you're well old or something. <laughs> but why, why should that be? It's so. Why should it be that you have that relationship with that with that, well, that music? Yeah, that we can te- we can play music for people, expecting them to understand right. us through affinity for the music. Yeah, and it and it's. I mean, it is, you know, it's music can be like religion and politics in that way and, mm. and or or dreams or acid trips. They're just things, certain things that you shouldn't talk to other people about. <laughs> well, I uh, apologize. I apologize for this part of the conversation. No, no. I mean, I mean, you know, <laughs> no, I'm, 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 I'm teasing you. <laughs> I mean, that, 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 yeah, that like, you know, I, I've, I have learned that there's kind of an art to sharing musical experiences with hmm. other people. Um. And, and, you know, and understanding where to put your priorities in that sharing, you know, whether it's not to allow yourself to be disappointed if somebody uh, doesn't lock into what you're feeling. Uh, And it's, yeah, I I mean, I can think of just so many, to the point where, yeah, if, if that disappointment, you need to let go of that disappointment, obviously, and, and look for some other value including being able to at that moment think well who is this person why is it important that he or she recognizes me through this music 
And if they don't recognize it, um, mm-hmm. you know, where can I, where's the strength in that? Uh, as opposed to why is this a disappointment, but where's this, where's the strength in that? How does that help define the uniqueness of our relationship and, 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 and bolster the uniqueness of our relationship? Because, I am related to this music and this person isn't related to this music in this way. Hmm. Uh, yeah. It's I, I, I mean, these are my problems and puzzles that I think about all the time. Uh, I, I mean, I'm very, I quite performatively, like if someone's coming over, I will always make sure there's something playing as they walk in. And I spend yeah. a lot of time thinking about what yeah. that's going to be for each person. Cause I want them to enter the environment with the mood that, I don't know, relates to me properly. And sometimes it can be a real like, fuck you, not to like tell the person to leave, but it can be something extremely atonal because I want them to come into like the weirdness, you know, when we engage yeah. or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Increasingly, you know, because of how people experience recorded music specifically, um, you know, you walk into people's houses and there is no music. Um, because people have given up their cassette players and CD players and record players, even their, you know, Bluetooth speakers now or whatever. It's, you know, people expect to be listening to music on their phone and it becomes such a private thing that when you walk into someone's house, there's no way to communally experience music. It's just not available. And so then when somebody walks into my house, I understand that they've forgotten uh, or don't have a relationship with listening to music in the way that someone would have 15 years ago or that I have today or that you might have today. And so I'll be playing music knowing that they don't have a relationship to the music. And so sort of trying to observe their behavior. And if that, and if that's not important, then at least define, you know, the undercurrent of my own behavior and, and try to, you know, quiet certain thoughts or, or access certain emotions with a piece of music that I want to be a part of the interaction that we're having, the conversation or the meal or what have you. Yeah. Yeah. This is really weird. The spatial thing, isn't it? Because the communal listening to music happens in public spaces. In fact, you can't fucking get away from it, which is like infuriates me that I can't go to the coffee shop or wherever without there being music playing. Not because I always hate it, but it's inescapable. But then, right, like the rest of it is just the the spatiality of it is the inner ear of a single person. And so it's yeah. like completely, like the way that it occupies space has been completely changed in that way. You know, yeah. I wonder, like you almost, I almost get a feeling of music being sad that it can't fill a room like in a house anymore, keep a house warm or yeah, something yeah. like that, you know? Yeah. Um, I was thinking if maybe some of those considerations about what to play, how other people feel about the music that you're listening to, like, does that, like what version of that comes into play for you when you're like constellating with these other musicians that you work with? Um, you know, and all the collaborations that you do, if there's a, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I mean, I'm sure a lot of you all know who the, each other are at a certain, up to a certain point when you reach out to somebody, but if there's a feeling of, uh, uh, 
I don't know, not trepidation, but maybe like, are we going to get, are we going to get on with the same kinds of sound here? Are we going to figure that out? Cause there are so many different collaborators doing diff- very different kinds of music with you. Yeah. Although, yeah, I think pretty much everybody that I can think of that I've done, you know, active collaboration with in the last couple of decades are people whom I'm inspired by and or fascinated with and at the very least confident that I want to go wherever they lead Mm. uh, and that, that they are likely of a similar mind. Um, And so it's this, you know, great confluence of energies. Um, So I I think I can recall some experiences of trepidation in early early collaborations but but like i say mostly now it's it's just i can't wait to Mm. get in the room and start pushing ideas back and forth when i've i've gotten very recently to to start to experience uh kind of a an archetypal form of song making which is uh in in nashville you know there are professional songwriters, hundreds or thousands of them. And a standard process for a Nashville songwriter is to go to the office of their publishing company and sit by themselves in a room or have a songwriting date with another songwriter or two at 1030 in the morning with the idea that by 1230, they'll have a song or two, which is a strange and wonderful (laughs) concept. Um, but my, uh, I have a friend in Nashville, David Ferguson, um, who I've been working with for a number of years. And he's, he, you know, I was, maybe six months ago, I said, I'm going to come down and visit you, Ferg. And he said, okay, I'll set up some songwriting uh, sessions. I was like, well, okay, I just want to come see you. But that's okay. <laughs> and, you know, we go, he said, okay, you know, Willie, let's go, let's go over to Vince's house. And so we go over to this guy's house and sit down at his kitchen table We've got three notebooks. We've got three guitars. Everybody's got a recording device and we bullshit for 30 or 40 minutes. And then somebody starts doing something, saying something, uh, a line or playing something or singing a melody. And gradually all of our focuses come together. And an hour and a half later, we have made up a song and it's, I mean, I can't tell you how it's like one of the most sort of existence affirming mm-hmm. uh, activities I've ever been involved with. And it's, and it's also, it's very simple. All you know, it's, it's, you come up with this, you know, some of the songs are okay. Some of them seem really strong. Um, it doesn't really matter uh, because you also come away with having had an exchange um, that's a, professional exchange it's an emotional exchange it's a personal exchange you also have this sense of um respectful collaboration which is you know a prize a huge prize uh yeah i don't know (laughs) it's so it's funny that you say that because i have more and more i find that the people that i engage with there's some sort of framing or 
objective to the interaction. And I think at first I really resisted that. You know, one of my really close friends, we'd only sort of meet to talk about how to make our lives better. Like we would have these kind of like sit down meetings of like, we'll do this and do this. And we just kind of give each other advice. And when we would try to hang out outside of that, it felt a little off or odd, but Mm. I, I was worried that it was reducing our relationship to function in a way, but actually I now find more and more that it's just so much more, it feels so so much more honest and gratifying to me. It's not as if I don't have any kind of wandering friendships or certainly with like, I don't know, my sister, my boyfriend, whatever, it can go wherever it wants. But sometimes these meetings in the middle of something, um, I have a friend who lives here in Ireland. We only really talk about like sp- like spiritual concepts, uh, occultism, anthroposophy, these kinds of things. We'll spend hours like sitting and talking about it and like how it applies to the world, what to do. And it doesn't exhaust itself. It feels really I don't like the word productive, but you know what I mean. It does something, yeah. brings yeah. Cre- it brings something created into the world. And um, so I wasn't sure which way you're going to go with it when you said, well, he asked if we could sit down and make the songwriting thing. But I have the same experience where actually these things end up feeling very vital and actually an honest way to really be friends with someone as well. Yeah. And as, you know, as... Uh, somebody who grew up, you know, relatively introverted with a lot of uh, Mm. solitary time, I I suppose, but with an understanding of, of the value of friendships and community and even, you know, an an envy for certain communities and friendships. Um, When I, you know, when I first began making records, my first thought was, you know, well, who are my friends and or family that I can make records with? Because, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know necessarily how to say, do you want to go? I don't know. What do you do with people? Uh, you know, because I, because I was such a isolated kid, I guess. How do you get to spend time with people that you love, admire, respect? Um, and I thought, Oh, this is great. I can have these, deep and arguably productive interactions with people that I want to spend time with. And I can say, you know, do you want to, will you come on Wednesday for six hours and we'll try to make Mm. two songs come together um, to my brother, you know, or to, you know, or, Mm. or, or, you know, ask my mother, you know, will you, can we work on artwork together for a a record? Um, Because I want to, do something with you. Um, you know, do I want to come over and sit and hang out with you? Maybe I do, but that's not occurring to me partly because I think you wouldn't find that of value. But if I present something, you know, if I present like, okay, well, here's a, let's make a song. Then we're, then we're, uh, we're doing something. It's, it's part of like, it's reminding me of that. The thing that, the biblical thing is I'm going to get it wrong as weird as that is uh, that Christ says, like, you must leave your mother and father and come with me, not meaning hate them and abandon them, but that actually the relationship that you have with the people you love isn't founded in 
blood or some sort of assumption necessarily, but rather that you're yeah. doing this act together. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 That's yeah. Yeah. That's the oftentimes freeing and simultaneously freeing and, and, you know, the bittersweet freeing and, and painful realization. Yeah. That, that we, make our own family. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm thinking about something you said that I want to, it's in the intro to your um, book of lyrics from Norton. We have the same publisher. Um, yeah. I don't know who your editor is there, but yeah. Um, <laughs> we, where you write um, the records and recordings I loved were sloppy, raucous, demented, devastating, random, precise. What allowed the makers of such works to be able to bring such life to me? And I, I was thinking about that myself, the experience of, uh, of life being brought. Um, and I was thinking about it in, in reference to another mutual friend, Ben Chasney, um, of ours, the first time I heard Ben's music, really listened to it. I just bought it one of his CDs blindly. And I was in San Francisco years ago. I didn't know Ben. And I was lying in a guest house, <laughs> the Parker guest house in, in the Castro in San Francisco. And the curtains were kind of billowing in. It was a light day. And Six Organs of Admittance is playing in the background with like there's wind chimes. And then, you know, that guitar style of his comes in and it has that <laughs> that feeling And it, I was in and out of sleep. And so it was weaving its way in and out of my dreaming and waking state. And I, or whatever, I, you know, then bought more of his records or whatever. And then at a certain point, you reached out to me um, <laughs> first. And then we, it was a totally random thing. And then we, it seemingly random to me. And then we became friends. Yeah. I was thinking about that kind of connection. There's somewhere else where you talk, you, you, I think in the interview book with you, you talk about a, how you would have dreams about talking with certain musicians, how they'd sort of show yeah. up. And there's, there seems to be this weird waking, sleeping dream life of music that does bring into orbit people. And the most obvious way, I guess, is with audiences listening to music at concerts together, talking about albums. But there's also this other way it happens. And I've noticed this again and again in my life. I've had dreams about musicians who are now close friends of mine. Um, so what what is this weird astral quality? Because <laughs> I do think it brings something to life. It creates a kind of beacon. It does some sort of strange work where we end up in the same conversation, in the same room with people, that's beyond just audience. And I don't know exactly what that is. And I, I don't know if you yeah. agree with me, but I think probably you've well, I mean, my, something like it. 
Yeah, my brain's gone all over the place uh, as you've been speaking, and you know, and feeling like there that I I think that I have felt maybe maybe because again going back to my mom, you know, she was highly involved with exploring the world of dreams when I was a child. Mm. And it was an evident, you know, because she would illustrate her dreams uh, very graphically um, with, with Mm. markers and colored pencils and, and allow us as kids to look at these graphic illustrations of her dreams, but also understand that this was a, a pillar of her life. Um, and I think that helped me to feel like a dream, that dream reality is, you know, is significant and reaches out far beyond the confined space of our sleeping time. Um, and I appreciate, you know, I understand that it's, it's blurry and that, you know, all, all dreams are, valid occurrences and and a significant part of our histories, which is not unrelated to what happens to us when we are experiencing art, right? When we're experiencing a movie, when we're experiencing music, we are going places that are real places and we are continuing to map out our presence, our history and our future during these experiences, right? Even as we know everything that we do in in these times, that all these occurrences are are within our brain, and so we need to be careful about how much mm-hmm. uh, weight you put on um, your reality, your on, on your non shared reality, and and how much you understand. Like, okay, well, this is my uh, unique experience wonderful thing about music and about art is that it's it's not like a dream insofar as you know that there is a share you are sharing something with somebody if if only it's if it's with the creator of that work but but ideally you're also sharing something with another person who's experienced or will experience this you know experience in the past and is dead now is experiencing it now or or will yet experience it and and at times your experience with that art will come beautifully and frighteningly close to the experience of somebody you most likely will never meet. Um, so all that said, I, you know, I, you know, I, I, it, it's wonderful. You know, somebody, you know, Ben Chasney, the Chasnophone is somebody who, you know, is like, you know, for you and for me and for, I think many peer, people who experience him, personally but especially his work is like a great he has one foot in this shared reality and one foot in the dream world um and allows us to recognize that we pass in and out of these two not really separate existences uh you know my 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 first experience with him directly and physically just it plays like a dream because you know, uh, you know our, our mutual friend Dan Koretsky, who runs Drag City, said, "You know, well, we're starting to work with this guy. Um, I think you would like his music." Um, 
And then at some point he said, he's, oh, he's playing in Louisville. You should go see him. And I went to see him and he played at a guy's house, a guy named Claude Stevens, who lives, you know, 20 minute walk from my house. And, and I went and it was Claude, who's, who's this incredible, like his, his life is devoted to play in the natural world uh in the natural in the you know through a scientific lens so he works at a at a forest uh 45 minutes south of louisville and and he's so yeah so claude already and, and i i didn't really know claude but i come there my father had died recently i think and claude had been drinking bourbon and he's got this house with a yard with a chicken coop and musicians would sometimes play in the chicken coop. People were wandering all over. And, and I was like, well, is six organs of admittance happening here? And he was like, Oh yeah. In the go up in the living room. And I went in the living room and there's Ben sitting on the floor, like Indian style with a guitar with about seven people in the room and he's playing. That's, you know, and right, of like course. that's a great, like, then, cause Claude, Claude was like, I knew you because my dad had worked with this forest that Claude works at, and so Claude is sort of drunk and giving wow. me hugs and talking about my dad, and so you know that that I still remember it, but it it's just, it was just a dream, but it was it was a real thing, but it still was just a dream, and I've had multiple experiences with Ben, like you know, like mm. the the times and places where I've seen him perform stand out as 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 kind of massive uh symbolic and and kind of life-changing moments in my in my life but they're all extremely abstract um and dreamlike yeah i mean everything about that scene is <clears throat> it's like the astral realm really you know it's like yeah. the dead the animals the music the yeah, sort of exactly. walking into the space i mean it's all there i Gosh, there's so so much. Like first, it's like the re- the remembrance of listening to the music of the dead. You know, of course, we can take in art from dead people in many ways. And I'm not privileging music over other forms of art. It has its special qualities, and so do others. Yeah. But but the idea that you can actually be vibrating with the emotion of the dead as it enters you is very strange (laughs) when you when we die then also i'm thinking about this dream thing you know the idea of the life review that happens and flashes past your eyes is right rudolf steiner says a very curious thing where he's like well don't forget that also you'll you'll see all your dreams when that happens as well so not only will you see the waking life but all the dreams you've ever had will pass by you um as part of your astral body astral encounter or whatever so i'm i'm thinking about that and then i'm just thinking about the (laughs) the ways in which songs can come from dreams and intersect with the dream world so one uh, well let me just say myself i'm not a song writer you know i i would love to i would i mean i have a guitar back here that i ben tried to teach me how to play but he was just too advanced i couldn't follow him so i was like (laughs) just couldn't do it so i've been like you know slowly playing my own stuff wanted to play music my own my whole life but one of the reasons why is because i dream songs all the time 
I dream melodies and words and I wake up singing them. And I wondered then just with all this, if that happens with you, if pieces of the song will follow you into the waking world, if you dream them at all, or if, I I don't know if that's an experience for you or not, if that direct transmission from the astral plane (laughs) comes to you. No, I, because I am a, you know, as Dreams are, for the most part, there are these things that no matter how profound of an experience you're having with a character who is a representation of someone you may run into in the in the waking physical reality, it's all yours uh, for the most part. There may there may be some exceptions, but but the, you know I know I think what I take away from hearing music or hearing songs or making up songs in a dream is just that it happened. But, but I, under, I understand that, yeah, everything happens that happens in the dream world is really, it's specifically ours. It is not a collective experience. Like everything that happens in your waking life is kind of a collective experience. Everything that happens in your dreaming life is, is a singular, unique, personal experience. So any songs that happen in there, I can be aware of their power and then i'll have to figure out how to translate that into you know something that we can agree is reality but it doesn't you know because if you've ever tried to take a lyric from a a dream song it you know it doesn't stand up it just doesn't stand up uh maybe not a lyric yeah the lyrics are pretty bad for my dreams i will say that yeah they're not bad but they just don't translate yeah 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 yeah. and the melody you have to have faith that the melodies are similar you know you might you have to have you have to understand that hmm. a melody or, or a structure or anything that happens in a song maybe you could pull something from it but for the most part it has a significance that's related to your internal life um And doesn't necessarily have value in the outside world. Yeah. Well, maybe, um, maybe the last thing we can talk about here, that process of uh, attaching or letting go. Like when you're talking about a song being kind of, you know, this mystery that or puzzle that you're working on and working on. Um you know, it's always been interesting to me, this question of which ones we let go of, which ones we keep distant, but kind of glowing, you know, any artistic work that we keep distant, but kind of glowing so we can come to it so we can find it in the sky and work with it later. Um, And which ones approach us very quickly um, or, or unfurl or we grab onto. Do you have, I, I, Maybe if someone asked me the question, I would be able to come up with an answer, but I'm asking you the question. <laughs> so, do you have any idea of how that works for you specifically? Why some things might get left behind, why some come fast, some stay distant. Um, that part of the mystery itself, not, yeah. In terms of com- making up songs or appreciating yeah, others? In terms of creating songs, like, yeah like maybe I think I feel like the wrong way to phrase it would be how do you decide? Because I think it's something that maybe decision does come into play, but it's not fully decision, which ones show up and need to be worked on quickly versus which ones feel 
like they're approaching slow versus which ones you're like, I'm going to leave that behind. How do, yeah. do you have a sense of how you navigate that inner landscape? I, I'm kind of wonderfully and painfully aware of how paltry and lacking our language is uh, when it comes to being able to express or explain certain things. So I think one of the, what I've come to understand as one of the joys of doing what I do is having this constant active engagement with things that are unexpressible. Um, which, and I, and, I, and I don't mean to be sidestepping the question, but part of, you know, but, but part of the thrill when working through songs is seeing things happen without, and knowing that I can't verbalize why they're happening. And, and at the same time, have confidence that I am making decisions that are based on something real, but it's something real that's inex- inexpressible in language with the language that I have access to it, at least. So when, mm-hmm. and I don't know, you know, it's also in terms of making music and making up songs, the, the pandemic that was put upon us, uh, couldn't have been a more wonderful gift really um, because it gave me so much time to mm-hmm. revisit songs and short songs, long songs, um, you know, songs of all kinds of themes. I, I, I could, give equal time to, I would just give equal time to them. So there wasn't anything that resembled a fast song or a, you know, something that came quickly or something that came slowly. They all came. I just, you know, even if something was solid and secure from early on, I would revisit it as constantly and as, uh, you know, um, as I would a song that I just couldn't figure out. Um, And there's even, you know, there isn't, I, I, there's, a, you know, I, I'm also discovering impractical joys like, you know, there's a song that I worked on for a couple of years, recorded it, put it on the record, and then realized that I was dissatisfied with a line. And so now there's a new line in the song. Um, Do you want to say what song that is? Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, um, Kentucky is water on this on this record. I can see future and I can see past. See your humanity from first to last.
God. And there's a line, um, <laughs> uh, like, no one's first of even a little children. Never, yeah, never try to deny a wind and it's blowing. Um, the, the new line is tremendous effort against something you can't even see. And I can't remember what the line is on the, on, on the record. Uh, but it's, but it was a line that I never enjoyed singing, but I didn't realize I didn't enjoy singing it until I realized that I didn't enjoy singing it. Um, and it wasn't getting to where, uh, it needed, needed to go, I guess. So that, you know, that song is, I mean, I guess that song went through a billion permutations. Um, uh, yeah, I think I'm. I think I'm loving more and more the the idea of in recording or it, recording is like performing in many ways. It's it's the time is very limited, and so you train and you train and you train. And recording and performing is like you know competing in a uh, an Olympic event or something like that. You 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 do things as right as you possibly can in the months and years in order to be there for that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but writing is different. Writing is, is more like the training. You can revisit it and revisit it and revisit it and revisit it and revisit it. And there is no, the urgency is spread out over a much uh, longer period of time. Although it's, it's nice to think that there's a performative aspect to writing as well, because you're not writing 24 seven, you have to live, you know, you have to brush your teeth. You have to, take care of your body. You have to yeah. pay bills. And when you write, you have to be there. You have to be present. So there is that performative aspect to it, but you can also know like, well, something's wrong with that line and I will, it will not be done until it's right, but it's not going to be right today. It'll be right. Maybe on Friday, maybe next month. I don't know, but it, I don't, but you don't have to worry about it. Uh, yeah. It's so, I mean, it's so interesting to think about just making art as a way to investigate the utilization of time and space, you know, yes. as, like to bring it on our side. Like when you're talking about, oh, I'm recording and like, something has to happen now. <laughs> it yeah. has to happen in this moment. Um, like I've trained myself to be worthy of the song in this moment to perform it and freeze it then for others. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cause I was thinking about, you know, writing my writing fiction where it's where I'm like, okay, well I can go over and go over and go over like you're saying with the song, but the quality of time that I have to obey then is something different. Like I have to come to an inner sense of something being finished, whether or not it's done, I have to come to that sense. And one of the ways I do that one of the best advices that I've ever, one of the best pieces of advice I've ever gotten for writing, one of the only good pieces of advice I've ever gotten for it was stop just before you think you're done. And when I, when I do that, when I write a story or with my novel or whatever, and I can sense that I'm seizing the forward motion of time and just, and it kind of seals things off with a sense of kinetic energy. So all that is to say is I'm getting, I'm getting now these pictures of like when we make art, actually we're drawing time and space in a different ways. And when you were talking about being in lockdown, it's time and space itself had changed. It wasn't even you doing anything you were offered, you know, we're going to fuck up time and space for you for a little bit. We're going to give you a different sense of it. So song will be different now. 
And I try to like hold some of the lesson from that era. You know, what did I, what did I gain so I can bring it forward? It's hard to bring the really seed of that and put it in, but yeah. there was so much there because of, because of time and space. So I love the yeah. way that you were describing those processes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I've, with certain, you know, there's certain things where I think, I sometimes think, and I try not to dwell on it, but the idea that um, you know, that, 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 that it, there won't, there won't be a return to that, you know, mm-hmm. you know, like I, I'm, I'm, I'm very satisfied with this record, for example. Mm. And I'm very s- satisfied with live performances that I've been doing recently. Like I'm, I feel, I really appreciate this, this work. And I think you know, will I ever be given the time and space to make things that I feel this way about that I've been able to circle enough times, you know, and maintain spontaneity, but also build something that's sturdy. Um, Because it's, you know, it's, it's challenging in normal life to do to do that without, you know, yeah, isolating or creating a perverse distorted reality that, that other, you know, that your loved ones might not recognize or appreciate. Or anyone, when you tell them something like, Oh, what a special time that was for me. I understand. I mean, I, I absolutely understand. There was an opportunity to create new rhythm and it was, and to create it, not just to be, in the sway of the rhythms of the world. And that um, was really special in its way. And even just saying that the little snag in there for me, that's like, I know it was really hard for a lot of people. A lot of people suffered incalculable loss, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, I don't want to, that my experience of it was, was, you know, I mean, sure. I experienced some loss and, and uh, sadness, but it was just very different. I I also love that you talked about the circle because I, I was kind of trying to think of how am I going to work this in just to tell him, but I'll just tell you at the end here that the love is the first law. There are worms in your circle with Broder Dillerman, which came out yeah. during the pandemic as well. It's just, I mean, it's just beautiful. I, there, you know, there are so many moments where I wouldn't be like, Oh, that song you wrote is great. And the song, but um, obviously it's not going to make for the best uh, listening experience, for right. people. but yeah. I'll bring that one up at the end because uh, you were talking about the circle and what it gave. And, uh, and I thought about there are worms in your circle, so that's fine. <laughs> yeah. And that, you know, that was a, one of a, a number of tremendous experiences to, to work with uh, Tony Dillman on that. And then also to be able to work with Emmett Kelly, who then mm-hmm. farmed out our collaboration to Josh Abrams and Jim White and, you know, who are people that I love, but I didn't have any direct communication with them. It was all through Emmett. And just, yeah, the experience of having the opportunity to focus on tightening connections to people because our connections were significantly challenged mm-hmm. was, you know, unique and wonderful and something that, yeah, is just, 
particularly special. It's something that I value, you know, that a lot of people don't need, you know, they don't need to reinforce connection. Um, it's just, you know, some people are just connected. And for me, I find the reinforcement of, of connection to be a really, really, really valuable thing that is something that I'm constantly working on on a daily basis. And that's what making songs is all about. Um, but so having this opportunity where other people, we were kind of united in reinforcing connection um, mm -hmm. in ways that most people are privileged to let go just slide by most of the time. Well, listen, I'm so happy to make this connection with you directly. Um, well, then thanks for all your music and, and just, I, man, just the way you, just the way you consider things. It's, it has a lot of value for me and I know a lot of other people. It's really has a lot of meaning. So thank you so much. Thanks, Connor. And I hope if you're still there, we're hoping to be there next summer in Ireland. Uh, I'll I'll be here till I die. So if I, either I'll be dead here and you can visit my grave or I'll come to the concert. Mm -hmm.